Yeah, so really excited to be here at, at uh, the Air Consideration Symposium and to interact and, and meet all of you. Um, you know, in that role of the National Quarantine Unit and the Biocontainment Unit, we uh, were kind of on the front end of the, the COVID pandemic to where um, we had groups of individuals from Wuhan, uh, American citizens repatriated back to, to our spot in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and then, uh, if you recall, the Diamond Princess cruise ship, when we had a number of Americans uh, stranded off the coast of Japan, uh, we were involved uh, with getting them off the ship and, and getting them back to, to safe spaces uh, here in the U.S., uh, our, our site being one of them. So what I wanted to do with this um, intro for the, for the conference was really just kind of reorient us all to our experience um, over the last two years. Uh, try to not trigger any PTSD. Uh, try to do it in a way that generates good conversation um, and, and just taking stock of kind of where we're at in this moment of time as it relates to um, the science, the industry, and the challenges and opportunities in, in terms of air. So um, that's where we're going. My particular team, we do, uh, normally we do environmental risk assessment. Um, and try to characterize how a pathogen is transmitted from one person to another. So as you can imagine, when we were one of the early sites to activate for, um, at the time, I have emails that refer to this virus as a variety of different things, most of which we'd be ashamed to repeat now. Um, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty, right? And so hopefully as we go through this, we'll get a sense of, of that uncertainty and um, as we developed more certainty over time. Um, you know, other thing I'd just like to underscore, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna flag a number of different things that were characterized or identified throughout the, the initiation of the pandemic. If you are in science and, and perhaps if you're in industry, this experience was pretty remarkable um, because while the general public really felt like, man, we don't know anything, the experts don't know anything, it, it felt like in our realm, you couldn't keep up with the information that was being generated. Um, less than a year into the pandemic, um, PubMed, which is the index of all the research articles, the number of publications for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID surpassed that for staff. So if you're aware of staph infections, right? They've been around for decades. There is a dearth of research on them took less than 12 months to generate more research publications on COVID than staff. Um, I think that that is a huge signal um, for just how primed science and industry were to really kind of tackle the unknown here. So uh, with, with that in context, we'll, we'll move through kind of that. And then we also wanted to you know, highlight and underscore um, a, a fairly major document that the EPA released in, in March of 22, which is the Clean Air Challenge, right? And so really underscoring what, on the base of it, are some pretty simple principles um, to create an indoor action plan. And again, this was predominantly driven by COVID, but is, is broadly applicable to indoor air quality. Optimize fresh air ventilation as we come off of decade or more of really focusing on LEED certification right? Um, looking at optimization of fresh air and ventilation and enhancing filtration and cleaning. So first step of how we get here, we all remember, I'd like to say this was three months. It was much longer than that. I know we have Dr. Burks in the room who can, uh, who can attest that it, it, this lasted much longer. Um, but 
I, I put all of these news articles up here somewhat haphazardly because this represents the reality that we experienced it, right? Um, what's going on in meatpacking plants? It, it sounds like the, these are really high risk. There's lots of infections. We're starting to hear about lots of people dying that work in that space. Is it safe to go to the office? Um, how, do, how is it safe to go to the office? Is it safe to send our kids to school? Um, how do I protect my kids if we send them back to school? Um, then getting it all the way down to as we send the kids back to school, is it safe to put them in a bus if we're busing? Um, these were the, the day in, day out decisions that we were plagued with that really struck a lot of indecision, right? At times you didn't have enough information to make uh, an evidence-based or kind of a firm decision that you had a lot of, a lot of confidence in. Um, can I go to church? Um, is it safe to go to church? Is it safe to ride the elevator? Should I take the stairs? Um, so again, just dropping all of this in there to, to remind us that as this event uh, unfolded, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of uncertainty and, un and unknowns. And where I think we're at today is, is in a completely different uh, space in terms of how we understand and orient to those things. Um, so some of the, the key things that I think are, are also related to why we're all here, um, but that were key characterization points for this particular pandemic and are things that are going to stand and inform our approach to indoor air quality from here on. And a lot of these are, are remarkable and pretty unheard of if you look at the historical context of, of these types of studies and characterizations. So the first that I wanted to underscore uh, so this is a, a characterization of an outbreak in a German meatpacking meat plant, right? So by and large, not easy to conduct research or disease surveillance or any type of surveillance in a meatpacking plant, right? They're generally relatively closed off locations. Um, there is a lot of proprietary information about how those plants are laid out, what equipment they use. Um, and Early in the pandemic, this came out of Germany where not only were they able to, to really clearly characterize who stood where, who worked where, who they interacted with and how they got infected, but they, they mapped it all the way back to the living quarters of those individuals. Uh, my particular group, we, we just wrapped up a, a one-year assessment of meatpacking plants in the US. Um, and what we found, we were actually pretty shocked by this. We, when we started, we put most, if not all of our attention on the meatpacking floor. Right? This is the area where you're going to have anywhere from 800 to 2,000 people standing for eight to nine hours a shift. You may run three shifts a day, so that floor is never uh, fallow unless they take a break to clean it. Right? Um, we put a lot of resources and focus there. As we started the study, we, we talked the plant management into letting us cast a wider net. And what that assessment found is that the, the lion's share of the risk in those particular facilities isn't where we tend to look, which is on the, the meatpacking floor. Also, coincidentally, where there's millions of dollars worth of HVAC, of cleaning equipment, of all sorts of, of controls. Um, it's a really well uh, environment, uh, controlled environment where we saw risk that was off the charts, which really hadn't been identified through kind of just walk through characterizations was in the cafeteria, was in the offices, was in the hallways, where I see heads shaking. It's not a surprise once we call it out, right? These are the areas where we might have HVAC that hasn't been invested in for three decades. Um, in some instances, might not even have functioning HVAC. Um, so um, th this was a big finding for us, and, and I think that's going to be coming out. On the school issue, so this was an outbreak in, uh, in California. 
And again, this was an area where we were all really eager not to see an outbreak in a school, but to see one that was so well documented and characterized, right? To be able to document where in the room the, the individuals that were infected and how it ended up spreading. Uh, this one went so far as to track cases back into families and tertiary uh, uh, family members. And what was interesting here was at the time, this particular school had probably more preventative measures in place than any other school. So it really stood out to us that we had an outbreak there and that it was so well documented and characterized, right? They had uh, an in-room uh, air filter, they had windows open, um, the students were wearing masks. There were a lot of, of prevention, right? So this, this ended up being an outlier and something that we were very interested in. Um, also, this was the emergence of the Delta variant, which kind of started to shake all of that certainty that we had developed over the previous 10 months, started to unravel a little bit because we had a variant that was so much more transmissible than the prior variants. And so we saw that some of those baseline protection measures could be overcome. Here is a, a, another one. This is uh, getting back to the, the, the religious service or, or church service. This was, a, a, again, a well-documented uh, outbreak but a very large and significant outbreak. And, and keep in mind, this was uh, June to July, I believe, of that first year. And at this point in time, this really struck a lot of fear, right? 54 plus cases at one particular church, and there were a few deaths associated with that as well. Um, and again, I, I promise you this isn't gonna just be all um, dark conversation. Uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and that's actually why we're all here. Uh, here was a South Korea call center. So again, this was an outbreak that was characterized at this call center. So similar to the meatpacking plant, right? Really large open space, space where people are vocalizing all day, every day. Uh, they're sitting there for long periods of time. What stands out here though, is the level of characterization of the air handling and of the disease transmission through that space. Um, without a global pandemic, with so many unknowns, we never would have done this level of investigation to understand how can we make this type of space more safe on a daily basis, um, and definitely more space when we have uh, a global infectious disease threat. I know is that I really wanna go deeper on all of these studies and, and talk much more uh, about what was characterized in the methodology, but we're just trying to set the stage here and remember kind of how this all unfolded. Um, this one, probably many of you remember. So this was in Guangzhou, China. This was a restaurant outbreak, right? And this was one of the few where, again, if you see um, on the upper part of the, of the graphic, we were able, not myself personally, but public health authorities were able to really strongly characterize uh, the, the likely contributors to this outbreak at this restaurant, right? So in this particular space, it had a high recirculating uh, uh, air conditioning unit, and you know they, they hypothesized that that was likely a contributing factor to why everyone in the zone of that particular airflow was infected. And again, not over an eight-hour workday, but over a few hours of sitting down for dinner next to one individual that was infected, right? Um, so here's an, another outbreak, again, uh, at a restaurant or a cafeteria, and this one, ag again, was characterized re related to the air the HVAC, uh, potential transmission over measured distances. Um, so enough, enough of the like outbreak review. Uh, we're all very familiar with, with how all that went down. Um, this is kind of my Bible, if you will, 
This is something that as we run the National Quarantine Unit, as we run the Biocontainment Unit, or we work with different partners around the country to really work through risk assessment and risk mitigation, this is our guide. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons why we were not as concerned or hopeless by characterizing this particular pathogen as airborne transmitted, right? Because in this case, we do have a lot of engineering controls that we can use. Um, this is also an area of immense innovation, especially over the last two years, to develop more engineering controls um, that are more cost effective and, and more effective at inactivating or removing pathogens and keeping people uh, safe. What I also like to point out as we do that, and uh, this probably won't be lost on the group, but there's a, there's a hierarchy here. Some of these are much more effective than others. Um, so when we make recommendations around masking, either masking infected individuals so that they reduce the exposure that they're giving to those around them, or uh, uh, masking people to, to keep them safe and protect them from others, those are more error prone right, and have more failure points than an engineering control that we can install and, and turn on as long as we monitor it and make sure that it's working the way it was intended, it's going to reduce the amount of risk that we know it reduces. Um, a lot more variables in either, you know, personal protective equipment, you've got to wear it right, you've got to wear it at the right times, um, or administrative controls, telling people don't do that or do this. Um, so I'm, I'm drastically oversimplifying, but I think everybody gets here. So again, anchoring us back to the clean air challenge from the EPA with really, again, underscoring these three really simple and basic principles. Um, so innovations, one of the really remarkable um, aspects of this pandemic was the, just the level of innovations that came forward to optimize um, you know, controls, across that hierarchy that I, that I just showed, right? Um, so hand hygiene verification to get in and out of spaces, different type of, of cleaning process and agents, and, and lots of uh, air handling and, and air cleaning technology. As much as I highlight this as, a, as an advantage and um, you know, a great outcome, this is also one of the challenges from my perspective. Right? So we've also had a lot of products come to market without the necessary or, or requisite validation. Um, and I would say that the market is probably pretty flooded and full right now. And so a lot of companies and groups that are looking to in, increase the safety that they're able to provide in spaces have a lot more options. And I mean, we've all had an, a number of, of conversations with those folks. It's hard for them to decipher uh, what's good and what's not.